Good morning. Welcome to Grace City. If I hadn't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is David. I'm the teaching pastor. Thank you so much for being here and being a part of our community this morning. You have picked a, a great morning to be here and that we're going to ask uh, a few difficult questions that I think can be a little bit hard to answer. Uh, two of the three questions I'm going to attempt uh, to start to give you an answer. The third one is just a fun question I like to ask. And uh, since we're dealing with creation this morning, uh, here's that question. Did the first humans have belly buttons? I don't know. Uh, so you can talk about that one over lunch. And so, uh, so you can uh, discuss that there. But we are going to be looking at two, two kind of bigger life questions for you. One, how can we know God? Okay, not, not an easy question, right? Like, how can we know God, his character, his nature, his attributes? And then why were we created? Why did this God choose to bring us into this world? How can we know God? And why did God create you? What is your purpose? And so kind of two big life questions, right, that, that, that you can uh, spend a, a lot of time thinking on, praying about, and, and talking with, with other folks. Now, I said earlier that uh, we're going to start the answer. There's no way that I can answer both of those questions fully uh, in the time that we have allotted together this morning. And so I'm just starting it. Where you can continue the conversation, where you can kind of continue to get your answer is in our community groups. Uh, we're starting a brand new teaching series in our community groups called The Gospel Project. And over the next four or five weeks, our Sunday mornings are going to kind of uh, uh, correlate or correspond or whatever adjective you want to use. It's going to go uh, with our community groups. And so we're just going to start the conversation here and you can continue it in those groups. Now, if you're not connected in them, like Stevie said earlier, you can go to uh, gcjxn.info. It's on that, that, that card that you see in front of you. And so you can do it right now, even while I'm preaching and, and be uh, sign up for a community group. That way you can check it out or you can set your fantasy football lineup because I know today's the first season. Either way, I'm not going to know. So I'm going to pretend uh, that you're going for community groups there. So, But do that. That way you can continue the conversation because we are going to be chasing down these two questions this morning. So let me kind of call my shot with my sermon as well, that with us kind of going after these two questions, trying to answer them, uh, it's going to feel a little bit more, bit more um, uh, doctrinal or more, more teaching. It's not really going to be like a preaching and exhortation, all right? So th this sermon's not going to be like, you know, three points and a sad story or three points and a hoorah. Like, that's not what we're going with this morning. It's really just my, my hope and my prayer is that it would help us begin to connect the dots around these two questions. How can you know God, and why did he create you? How can you know God, and why did he create you? To get there, I need to start here. I have three sons, and I'm always looking for windows into their world. I, I always want to know why, why they value what they value, why they like what they like, and so I'm just always just trying to learn my boys as they grow up. I, I want to I know them more. And so one of the things that I do is I pay attention to the stories that they tell. Uh, I want to know why they include what details, why they leave out some, some details as well, because these decisions that they're making as they create the story, as they tell the story, or the decisions that they make with why to include something in a picture that they're drawing or why to leave it out, I think those decisions can give me insight into what they value and, and don't value, into what they um, you know, treasure and, and not treasure. And so I, I pay attention because I want to learn them, because I do believe that whenever you and I create something, our nature, our character, our attributes, maybe even part of our soul is reflected in what we are creating. Now, to be sure, that's maybe easier to see in, in those that create music and poetry and art and, and, and sculptures. Like, we can see that there. But I think, to some degree, uh, that even when you're creating maybe a business or forming a team or, or 
just any type of creation that we do, I think a, a similar principle can apply to some degree. You can learn something about the creator because the creation and how it was created speak to the nature of the creator. And so it is with the first page of scripture. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. These are the opening pages that introduce us to the one true God. And right off the bat, we see uh, there's uh, some differences. There's there's, uh, differences, a different set of values, attributes, and characteristics between uh, the one true God and perhaps... um, any other false god or goddess that's ever been worshipped by human civilization. Uh, For instance, in in other uh, religions, other cultures, you have various accounts of creation, how the world was formed, how it was brought into being. And in almost all of them, creation happens as a result of conflict. There was a war, there was a battle between this God and that God, between two demigods or two angels. There was conflict, there was strife, and creation or humanity is formed because something is cursed, because something or someone is being punished. There was a fight, there was conflict, and the consequence, the side effect, is the world as we know it. This broken, damaged, uh, cursed from the very beginning world. But that's not the story that we have on the opening pages of the text. That's not the story that we have in the opening pages of Scripture. For starters, we see that God is always present. He has always been. He's existed in eternity past. He will be in eternity future. Once more, we see that outside of God, at the beginning of all things, nothing existed. And so God brings everything out of nothing. And with that act we see that God has complete and total authority and control over everything that we can possibly perceive. He is sovereign over, any, over anything and everything that we can see because he's brought everything out of nothing. We see the, the power that God has. And so that lets us know too um, that God is not bound by a certain set of materials. He's created everything, right? So there's no limits on God. He's not limited by the number of crayons in the crayon box. I mean, he's not confined to anything like that, like you and I would be if we go to create something. He's not confined to physics, geometry, geology, biology. He's not, not confined to any of those, although God forms all those. All the natural laws, all the physical laws that governs the universe that he brought into existence, God created all of those. And I would say even that gives us further insight into the creator, because we see the sense of order that he values. We see the sense of, of, of structure that he has that you see reflected in those sciences. And so sometimes you can hear this tension of is it faith or is it science? I would say it's both because one can inform the other. The deeper we go into God, the deeper we should pursue the truth of these sciences. And like, ah, this is how God has done it. The, the deeper we get into the sciences, we can understand more of who God is and what he's done. And so both of these can inform one or the other. But again, these can also speak to this attribute or this character that we see of God, of, his, uh, of the order that he's given. Once more, if we read the creation account, really all of Genesis 1, specifically that, that, that creation account that we have there, you see a progression uh, in uh, moving from uh, chaos to order, moving from, uh, you know, the, the, in verse 1 or 2, right? The earth was empty and formless and void, but then, and darkness, but then what comes next? There's light and there's uh, water and there's plants and there's uh, sun and moon and stars and animals and then humans. So it goes 
from uh, formless and void to this complexity, and then it ends uh, with humans. And so you see God being in control of all of it. There's no, uh, it's not haphazard. Um, God is in control of his creation from start to finish. It's not chaos. It's not conflict. It's not cursed. Each element, after God creates it, he then turns and pronounces it as good. There's good. We, we see it starting from a place of good. Once more, there's abundance in creation. Um, God doesn't make just a, a, a limited, uh, like, of, of light, I would say. Like, there's, there's sun and there's moon, but then there's stars by the billions. It's not just a small amount of water. He creates oceans. And these oceans are teeming with fish. And the air is filled with, with birds of the sky. And the land is covered with creatures that crawl along the ground. There's, there's an abundance as God is bringing this world into existence. And so we see that, that, that God is, is abundant with his creation. He's generous with his creation. He's loving with his creation. And yes, once again, there's peace and harmony throughout the entire creation process. And I think one of the ways that you see this the most is in Genesis 1, 26. And so make your way down to this, because this is the verse when God chooses to bring uh, mankind, when God chooses to create humanity. This is what he says, one uh, twenty six. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So you, you can hear some plurality in that, right? Let us make man in our image. And so right off, you know, like the first page of scripture, we're already getting an insight into this thing that, that we talk about in Christendom of the Trinity. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image. We already see uh, points, uh, we, we see direction towards the Trinity. And so with that, we can also remember, okay, that God's not in conflict with any other false gods, any other demigods or anything like that, he's not in conflict within himself. There's perfect harmony within the Trinity to do this, to bring mankind into existence. Um, and we do see layers of the Trinity throughout, throughout the creation account. We already saw uh, the Holy Spirit in verse 2 when the Spirit was, was hovering over the waters of the deep. Uh, and then in John's gospel, verse 1 through 3, he talks about the presence of Christ at creation. And he says this, in the, begin, in the beginning was the Word, that's the, the title he uses for Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him uh, nothing was made that has been made. So as the triune God, as the triune God purposes to bring creation into existence, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, work in perfect harmony to bring this world into existence. And so we're learning from this, we're seeing from this how creation happened, that God is a God of peace, community, love, perfect relationships, and he created the world from that place of goodness, wholeness, abundance, and generosity. And the reason that I've hammered that point home so long, and some of you might be like, okay, God, we, okay, David, get on with it. We understand that, that God is a God of peace and harmony. Did I just refer to myself as God in the sermon? Like, that's not what you need to leave this place with. If that is what you're leaving, I have failed miserably and I should be fired. And so uh, that is not what I, I don't know how to get out of that. So um, where was I? Let me just walk back over. Um, so but the... Uh, 
uh, God is a God of harmony and peace. And, uh, and so the reason, there it is, the reason that I've hammered that, right? The, the reason that I'm stressing that point so much, and the reason some of you are probably like, dude, move along with it, is, is because this, how you start your story impacts what happens in the middle and impacts how you believe it's going to end. And I think so often, and even in Christian circles, we, we start our story with the fall. We start our story with brokenness. And, and certainly, you know, when we, we're talking about the creation accounts from other, other religions and other cultures, it starts from a place of brokenness. No, the beginning of our story is the goodness of God and the goodness of creation. Why we need to hold on to that is because that is one thing that can give us hope when we're walking in a fallen and broken and damaged world. Because we can see the world that's broken and we can be reminded, hey, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way it's supposed to be. This, is, this, was, this was not the original design. This is not the original uh, form. This is broken, this is fallen, this is damaged. And so remember, one of the core tenets of the Christian faith is that God is going to set all this right. He's going to, to, to make it whole. He's going to restore. He's going to redeem. And so when we see the broken fallenness of the world, we can know it wasn't created as such, and it will not remain in this broken and damaged state. Because we believe that when God comes back and unveils the fullness of his kingdom, then his creation, the heavens and the earth, all will be made new. And so it's, it's, a, it's a way to where the beginning of our story can give us hope for the middle and even inform what we kind of hope and dream will happen in the end because we know that, that it's going to come back to this sense of goodness, this sense of wholeness, this sense of perfect relationship between uh, humanity and between humanity and, and the one true God. And so... Uh, so we're seeing also in creation account, again, these attributes of God, what he values, uh, what, what, uh, what, he's, what he's blessing. And so it's giving us insight into the character, nature, and attributes of God. Now, he's not going to stop there with just kind of giving us um, hints. Uh, there's more than hints, right? We're learning about God through creation account. But God is going to, the, the next step that he takes is he's going to make, uh, he's going to perfectly reveal to us his character and nature and attributes by making them known to us through God the Son. Because you see, all of creation, and hang with me on this, all of creation was made for Christ. Because creation makes a way, uh, creation makes a way for the invisible, almighty, eternal, sovereign God to make himself visible to finite human beings. Colossians 1 helps with this. Colossians 1, 15 through 17, the Apostle Paul says this. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, catch this, and for him. So through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So as we start to kind of mesh all this together that we've been walking through, what you begin to see, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, working in such perfect harmony to where they are in fact one God. Okay, that's the Trinity. They're perfect harmony, perfect, perfect devotion to one another, to where they are one God, but now they create the world by the Son, through the Son, and for the Son. Because when God brings this world into existence, he creates a place for Jesus, God the Son, to physically walk amongst his creation and reveal to his created people the nature of the character attributes, the promises, the virtues of the one true God. 
Jesus says it this way, John 14, verse 6 and 7. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Later in the conversation, Jesus is going to say, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And so Jesus is, is helping them see. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. So what that means for you and for me, as we read the text, right, as we read Scripture and we see how Christ lived, how he loved, how he ministered, how he related to those around him, we are learning, we are learning about the one eternal God who's infinite, who's almighty, who's sovereign over all creation, who brought everything out of nothing. We're learning about God. And when we trust in Jesus, when we trust in God the Son, who is the way and the truth and the life, we are trusting and knowing God the Father because they are one. The gospel message calls us to confess our sin, to trust in Christ's work on the cross and to follow him. And when we do that, that begins our knowledge of God. How do we know God? We trust and follow after Christ because he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Let me hit that last phrase, and I'll try to do this a little bit cleaner than I did the first service. Um, the firstborn over all creation. Um, that description there is more about rank and privilege and power, because Christ is not created, right? We've, we've read the scriptures that talk about he's, he was, you know, all the world was created by him, through him, and for him. And, and so uh, he's existed in eternity past, because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so he's not born of creation. Does that make sense? This was just a, a title, a, a description that Paul gives to Christ, saying, hey, this is the rank, the privilege that he has uh, between, uh, in regards to humanity towards God, because Christ is fully human, but he's also fully God. Does that make sense? I, maybe, maybe not, I don't know, but uh, just so you can get a little bit of church history, this one phrase sparked like a massive schism in the late 300s, uh, because there was some uh, tension in the church between uh, was Christ uh, was he literally the firstborn of creation? So does that mean he's not eternal? And, uh, and then there was like, no, 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 that's, that's heretical because that's gonna make Jesus less than God. So it's very, very important for, for the church to kind of come back and see um, how all this meshes with all the other scriptures that ascribe the full deity of God. Tracking with me on it? Cool. I told you this morning was gonna be a little, a little bit doctrinal, a little bit of teaching. Some of you are like, hold on, this is, this is like drinking from a, a fire hydrant, maybe so. But what, what we're seeing in this, again, is, is Jesus is the image of the invisible God. How do we know God? How can we uh, learn his character, his nature, his attributes? We trust, we follow after Christ. He's helping us know God. But if you remember, when I was talking about creation, there was one description of it that I said. I said God was generous with his creation. And I, and I use that specifically because I do think that God was generous with his creation and that um, he makes a way for us to be able to know him through his son. But I think God is also generous to us in his creation because when he brings this world into existence, he also creates for his people a purpose. He gives to us a purpose. Look again at Genesis 1, uh, 27 through 31. We'll, we'll pick it up right after 26. It says this, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. 
rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I'll give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it. I will give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So we, we see in this, and hang with me because it's a long sentence, God creates humanity to bear his image and to care and cultivate his creation. God creates humanity to bear his image and to care and cultivate his creation. So let's, let's break that down just a little bit. First and foremost, humanity bears or reflects the image of God. Before we get to purpose, because that's where this is headed, but before we get to purpose, I, I, I want you to, to hear this truth and know this truth, all right? That you were created in the image of God. You were created in the image of God. That should fundamentally change the way you view yourself and change the way you view the person sitting next to you in the pew. Change the way you view the person who lives next to you on the street. Change the way you view your neighbor. Fundamentally change the way you view yourself and the way you view others. Now, in changing the way you view yourself, okay, hear, hear me when I say this, and this might be the only thing God has you here this morning to in fact hear from him. You were not a mistake. You are not an accident. You're not a disgrace. You're not less than anyone or anybody else because you have been created in the image of God. He chose to bring you into existence. He chose to put breath in your lungs and to give you a soul. You were made in the image of God. That comes with an inherent dignity and self-worth. For you to not see that, for you to refuse to see and believe that you were created in the image of God is to rebel against God's design for you and for you to look at an almighty eternal God who was in eternity past, will be in eternity future, who brought everything out of nothing, that's for you to look at him and say, no, you made a mistake. You were created in the image of God. It comes with a dignity, it comes with a self-worth, that is, it should change the way you view yourself and change the way you view your neighbor. To not see the image of God in your neighbor is to spit on the image of God. And this, like, I could, I could get on a soapbox, but I won't because I'm probably going to flesh it out in a full sermon, so I'll save it for then. But I think if the church fully embraced the doctrine of the image of God, it, again, would change the way the church views individuals and change the way that the church views society. Because it would lead the church to take action for those who've been uh, oppressed, abused, victims of injustice, because we see someone not respecting the image of God in that person. And so it's how do we build up a robust belief to where I can walk with the dignity that I know I've been created in his image, and how can I help my neighbor do the same? And so it's going to change the expression of our faith and the practice of our faith when we see um, that we have been created in the image of God. Humanity, male and female, created in the image of God. Now let's say, uh, we didn't need to spend just two seconds on what this verse doesn't say because there's some that, that take this and go a step further and, and think that this means, okay, we're, we're, we're little gods ourselves or, or we're, we're uh, somehow diminished deities. That, that's not what this is saying, all right? We can't take that step. Uh, we can't go that far, but we've been created to bear, reflect, or mirror the attributes of God into the world around us. And that happens a lot of different ways, right? Like one of that happens just with how we're created, how we're different from 
dogs, right? Like we, we can you know, relate to God. We have a conscience. We can relate uh, to other people. We have a soul. And if you're a dog person, you might be really mad at me saying, my dog has all those things. Okay, he doesn't. Um, uh, but that, yeah, anyways, so... Um, uh, but, but like that, so just the way that God's created humans is a way that we begin to bear out his image, is a way that that can happen. Um, but once more, let's, let's, let's keep, keep connecting the dots for us, right? The image that we have of God, both through creation and both that we have through Jesus, is one of righteousness, one of holiness, one of goodness, kindness, generosity, love, grace, commitment, peace, harmony in these relationships. That's the image that we've been given that's the image that we are called to bear. And now we're on the purpose. Now we're on the purpose. You've been created in the image of God, and your purpose is to bear out the image of God in whatever setting God happens to place you. Now, remember, we've just covered who's the, who's the true image of God, right? We're image bearers. Who's the true image? The true image of the invisible, the, the invisible God is Christ. So who are we to show? Who are we to reflect? Again, it's Christ. That's the image that we are now bearing. Another doctrine of the Christian faith, sanctification, right? There's salvation. When we place our faith in Christ, we confess our sin to him. We know that he forgives us. We're adopted in the family of God. We're made new. We're made whole. And so that's salvation. But from that moment on, we believe the Holy Spirit helps us see our sin, confess our sin, and grow in Christ's likeness. That's sanctification. It's the Holy Spirit helping us see our sin, turn from it, and pursue his righteousness. So the more we pursue the righteousness of Christ, the more we live according to his commands, the deeper we grow in our knowledge of him and our knowledge of his teaching that leads us to live like him, the, the more we are able to bear out the image of Christ to a world that so desperately needs to see and know and hear from him. We're created to bear the image of God, and we're created to do that wherever God has placed us and in every facet of our life. Now, I'm just going to give one expression of this. In your community groups, you're going to look at a, a lot of different areas of life where we can bear out that image. But I believe one of them is uh, one of the ways that humanity can bear out the image of God is through the care and cultivation of God's creation. Uh, what I mean by that is when you look in Genesis and, and God creates the world and boom, Adam and Eve are, are in it. Humanity is, is placed uh, there. Um, he, he, gives them, he gives them the authority, the dignity, and the responsibility of work. You know, like, God could have formed this and just cared for all of it by himself. But he, he gives the, uh, the, the authority, the dignity, the responsibility of work to them both. Now, for much of my life, I thought that work was a result of the fall. Um, that, like, suddenly everything uh, got hard. And that part's true. Like, work got hard after the fall. But there was work beforehand. It's a God-given gift. It is a blessing. Because what it is, it is a setting for you to live out that created purpose of bearing his image. So we go about our work in a way that builds up. We go about our work in a way that, that progresses from chaos to order. We go about our work in a way that operates out of a theology of abundance rather than one of scarcity, and we become generous people. So, so here's the deal, and I, I know we've got a lot of college students, and I know we've got a lot of folks in maybe early 20s, and you're, you've got all those life questions about what am I going to do for the rest of my life, where am I going to go, and I don't, hey, maybe you're, maybe you're in your, your 40s and you're thinking about a career change, or maybe it's later in life, and so those questions are popping back up once again. Here's the deal, okay? Find your passion, all right? 
find your, your, your skills and abilities. So if, if it's computer programming, program, right? If you're a welder, weld. If you're a plumber, plum. If you're uh, in the legal work, you know, go law or whatever. You know where I'm going. Like, like just learn it, develop it, uh, hone that skill. But know this, it's just a setting. It is just the setting. And sometimes settings change. Sometimes settings are everything we hoped they would be, everything we dreamed about for our life. Sometimes our setting might feel like it's draining our soul. But in those moments, we come back and say, okay, this, the setting has changed, but my purpose has not. I'm to bear the image of God right where he's placed me. I'm to bear out his image to a world that so desperately needs to hear and see and learn from him. So two questions. How can we know God? We're going to trust and follow after Christ, who is the image of the invisible God as he is God in the flesh. Why did God create you? What purpose has he given to you? Why did he bring you into this world? He brought you into this world so that you too can bear out his image and help others lead and learn the truth of who he is and what he's done for them. So that you can work in this world and cultivate his creation in a way that reflects who he is and, and the truth of his coming kingdom. That's a high purpose. That's a high purpose. It's hard. We don't do it well. There are so many times where we know we've been created with a soul that, to bear his image, but yet we, we bear the image of other things, of other lesser things, maybe lesser gods, false gods we've placed in our life. And so next week we're going to look at what do we do? What do we do when we bear out an image other than God? What do we do when God sees, or how does God meet us in that failure? And what's the step after that? And we've seen that, right? We've seen other people that maybe are bearing images of, of something that is less than God. And so you see people bearing a bunch of busted, broken up images. And, and that can give a sense of hopelessness and fear and desperation in this world. But there we cannot lose sight of the fact that God is a great reconciler and redeemer. And he takes the busted up pieces of our mirrored souls and he finds a way to mend and restore and redeem them. So that we can once again bear the image of his son really for the first time, bear the image of his son. So my hope and prayer this morning is that you would know that God desires and has made a way for you to know him. He's not distant. He's not detached. He's not trying to hide himself. He brought this world into existence, sent his son into it so that you can know the love and the grace and the mercy that he has for you. And so that more than anything, you can know the glory and the goodness of his kingdom. He has made a way for you to know that you were created in the image of God and that he's created you to bear out that image in every place that he places you because it's a way that you tap into your created purpose and it's a way that you help others discover the beauty of God.